Well, good morning, Summit family. Yeah. Well, when I told my wife that I'm preaching on love today, she smiled at me and she said, you have half an hour. <laughs> so, so I'm going to keep it tight. We know that uh, love is the underlying theme of probably every sermon that we've heard throughout the years. But, uh, you know, we'll draw out something new today and we'll, I'll speak from my heart. And I trust that God will speak to yours as well. You may be thinking it's just, not, it's just another sermon on love, but the reality is that today I'm pre- preaching on courageous love, and particularly within the family of God. So no matter how many times we meditate on love, we come to something new and we discover a new ways to love and to be able to embrace that love for one another that ultimately comes from the Lord. So it's a beautiful place to be, and we'll, we'll start there. And so just before I start, we're going to address this basic question, or seemingly basic question, which is, what is love? So first of all, love is one of the most overused words that, uh, that is in the English vocabulary, and we use it for a number of things. And the other thing is, it's one of the most under, underappreciated words in our culture today because of how many times we use it. We can use the word so casually. Uh, And it often gets lost in translation when we use it because of how often we use it. Love is more than simply an an emotion or some feeling of warmth or affection for someone special. And it's not simply something that you're passionate about, like your hobbies or your interests or even food. It also goes beyond the fondness that you may have within your family members or your best friends, your spouse or your significant other. It goes far beyond that as well. So love originates from God, okay? It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in us. It's a sign of his presence. In scripture, it indicates that God is love and we are created in his likeness. And we were made to bear this resemblance of God in our character and our capacity for love. It's what makes us different. We have been created with a divine attribute of love as a reflection of God, of the grace of God into this world and to one another as well. And love is one of the highest, if not the highest virtue. And to some extent, we all reflect this divine imprint of love, which is a reflection of God himself. Love is more than just simply learned behavior or some acceptable or agreed upon standard that we see often in this world. Love is ultimately foundational to the truth of all of our underlying beliefs that is centered in Christ and in the church of Christ. But you must have faith in order to believe in love, to embrace the fullness of his love for you and the fullness of his love for you. And as you entrust your heart to him, there's a stream of life and there's a stream of love that overflows from that secret place that is within your heart for God and from God. The scripture reference that we'll be going to today is actually from 1 John 4, 7 to 12. And John, who is known as the apostle of love, wrote this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into this world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and love is perfected in us. So from this passage, we'll delve into three streams of love within the family of God. So the first stream of love is the imitation of Christ. When you love others, it's first of all a sign that you are reborn of the Spirit. It can be a sign that you're born again into the family of God. And as Christians, the act of loving others to some degree actually equates to knowing God personally in your life and reflecting that upon others. This life of love exemplifies the spirit of Christ that's alive and well within each and every one of us. And love is one of the the palpable signs of spiritual maturity as a follower of, of Christ, as a disciple of Christ, and it's a reflection of his character in us manifesting. And also, God is the author of love. And love essentially is the overarching theme of God's word to us in the Bible from cover to cover. But to live a life of courageous love, one of the lessons that we must learn really is to die to yourself. So dying to self is an act of submission, and it's a commitment to fulfill his purpose in your life and to be able to to follow his will for your life. It can be surrendering your idols or your pride or ego. It can even be surrendering your hopes or your desires and your dreams to God and giving that to him. It may be even the good and the better things that are in your life to be able to embrace more fully and wholeheartedly God's very best for each and every one of us. When you die to yourself, you will discover that there's a newness of life, this so-called resurrection life that is brought to life through the spirit of Christ in us, manifesting in us. The same spirit that overcame the grave can awaken God's love in us for God's people. So if you want to love others the way that Christ has loved us, you have to live the way that Christ lived for us and with us. And die to yourself so that the spirit of the risen one can rise up from within us to love God's people. So this is the heart of the message today. The more that you open up your heart to love others, the more that you will understand God's love for you, the depths of God's love for you. I'll share with you an example. I was at a church barbecue about 10 years ago or so, and it was open to the community. And at the barbecue, a man in his late 40s actually sat down at the park bench beside me. And after some small, small talk, he asked me three pointed questions that increased with level, levels of difficulty as he went along. The first question he asked was, what does the church say about drinking? I said, drinking is not necessarily prohibited, but getting drunk is. And so he went on to the second question, and he fired away, and he said, or he asked, what does the church say about psychedelic drugs? And he was implying particularly marijuana. And I said, that's a tough one, because some of of us use it for recreational use, and some of us use it for medicinal use. But it is known also as the gateway drug to addiction, And also, it can be a doorway to demonic attack and spiritual bondage if you're not careful. And then, of course, he he brought this third question to me, which was the most difficult question. 
What does the church say about the issues with sexuality? So I took a, a deep breath and I said, just because someone has the propensity to sin does not mean that they're given in to sin. And we are all born of a sinful nature, but some sins are easier to hide than others. It just so happens that this is more readily and can be more readily apparent to others when they see it. But this does not mean that they are any less loved than any other person out there in this world by God. The church, unfortunately, is often known for what they hate. But what I believe personally is because it's really a lack of love from God that we have yet to really fully understand and comprehend. I did not know like, if this man was asking for himself or if he was asking for someone he dearly loved. Because he was actually teary-eyed when I was sharing this holy moment with him. I opened my heart to take a risk to love. To, in order to, to love this person and follow the example as Christ has loved me as well in that moment. I answered these controversial questions with gentleness and respect, and I could have been rejected or persecuted. Uh, he could have just not accepted what I had to say, but I just tried to express the very love of God to this person unconditionally in that moment. And God showed me a deeper experience of his love in me and for me and through me in that moment, in the sequence, in that sequence and how it played out. You know what this man said, before, what he said before he left the event that day? He said, I don't know why I was even here today, but I know that I was here to meet you. And so I was really blown away that someone would even say that to me personally. And I said to him, and I looked him directly in, in his eye and I said, God loves you. And God has a purpose and a plan for you, and we have the privilege to be part of it all. Don't ever forget that. So I encouraged him and blessed him with those words, and I trust that I will see him in heaven again. And one day that uh, we will be reunited and we will celebrate that love together. And it's really amazing how we get to have the privilege to be part of his plan together as a body of Christ to showcase that love. So it's amazing how... When we initiate conversations with others and to love on them, how this gives God a chance to instigate change within the church family. And this leads us to the second stream of love within the family of God, which is the initiation of grace. In 1 John 4, 9, it goes on to say, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the substitution of our sins. The divine initiative of grace was shown in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Jesus offered up his life, or he laid down his life. And he bled and died, and he was the perfect sacrifice for all of our trespasses and all of our, all of our transgressions against God. And by his gracious love, God sent his son, and as Christ was sent, Christ has sent each and every one of us into this world. His promise was to send his Holy Spirit to live with us, and that is the body of Christ, now until the end of the age, until the day that we will meet our maker in heaven. As a family of God, we are to take the initiative to display, one to one another, to display love to one another, 
And this is the deepest and highest plane of love that we can ever aspire to, which is a reflection of God's love for us. This is an immeasurable love that develops when love speaks for itself in action. It is a love that words can hardly express because it needs to be embodied. And so to that end, we need to learn to pay attention to what I call body language. Now, it's not what you think in terms of facial expressions or the posture of your physical body necessarily. This is the embodiment of love to the fullest within the body of Christ, within the church of Christ here. This language of love is demonstrated in and through the church family, through each and every one of us. And by the grace of God, this is where our gifts are shared and our gifts are affirmed. And there's an opportunity to play our part to build up the body itself in love. And we're called to weep, we're called to grieve, and we're called to to mourn with one another. We are called to encourage one another, we're called to pray for one another. And there's so many one another statements in the Bible that the list goes on and on and on. This is the body of Christ that is broken for one another. And we are called to bear burdens with one another as well. Not only because we are called to, but because we are a community. We are created as a community of faith, a body of believers as a reflection of Jesus Christ. We are one family and more than a circle of friends. Do you believe this in your heart of hearts? We are faithful, we are a faithful family of God who have been commissioned to love. And God has sent each and every one of us to reflect that love to one another. I find it helpful when, when I look at the, this word in Cantonese that we use when we know someone or when we're familiar with someone. It's the same word that we use for ripe as well. It takes time for a relationship to develop into a friendship. And furthermore, to grow together as members of the same family of God. All of our relationships must endure through seasons in order for it to ripen, in order for it to grow. And the fellowship among brothers and sisters in Christ becomes sweeter and sweeter with time. The fruit that we bear in our relationships may be sour for a little while, but actually it the other, the other side of the, the equation is that it may also become bitter at first, especially when it has been long overdue. However, if we faithfully water and plant in and out of season, God will make our relationships grow, and we will taste of its goodness and the sweetness of the fellowship of the Spirit within the family of God. As we continue to faithfully follow Him, as we continue to faithfully sow and reap, as God has called us to He will bring this all to fruition. I met a brother in Christ several years ago at a a church. He was shunned because he was struggling with mental health issues, diagnosed with a mental disorder, bipolar disorder actually. And he felt nobody wanted to talk to him and he felt felt so lost and confused and, and all alone out there, even within the church. And I decided to reach out to him because he stopped going to, to church. He stopped going to the services. And he expressed his deep hurt and how he f- felt rejected by God and how he f- felt rejected by God's people as well. 
He shared the heaviness of his heart and, and the struggles that he was facing, living life on the streets and how he thought that no one could really relate to him. He was even surprised by how much I understood where he was coming from and the language that he was speaking. And looking back, I realized all I was really doing was sharing my life with him. And the language of love that was shown to me within the body of Christ, that the life and the love that I experienced as well when I felt like an outcast. I became like a big brother to him over the years, over several years actually, to walk alongside on his journey of faith, on our journey of faith. I was given the privilege and the honor to love and to win back a brother in Christ, not only to the church, but for the kingdom of God. And so that was it. You know, it was really a blessing to be able to experience that degree of love, not only through me, but in me, and to be an instrument of his goodness and grace in that moment in time. So I celebrate that, and I thank and praise God for that moment. So it's just another example. When we open up our hearts to love others, to show them God's grace, how we can experience God's love to a much deeper and deeper degree. So in addition to showing this initiative of grace, there's the third stream, which is the invitation to love. In 1 John 4, 10 to 12, it goes on to say this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Our God is a relational God, and he exists in three persons as a triune God. This is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in perfect unity together as one. God lives in perfect communion and in perfect harmony within this dynamic we call the Holy Trinity. And we too are invited to live in communion with God and one another. And we are created for this connection with God and with one another. And we are not created to love apart from loving God or loving others or even loving ourselves. Your capacity for love will grow when you yield yourself to the love of God. And we may have the capacity for, for loving others, but what difference does it make if you're not available to love others as well? So, and the more that you allow God to love others through you, the more you will discover the depths of his love to you and to his people uh, as you do that. But what are the stumbling blocks that keep you from loving others within the church? Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks in their book, The Other Half of the Church, The Other Half of Church, mentions some telltale, telltale statements we may come across so here we go. You avoid deeper community because you're just too tired. You'd much rather relax or watch a movie. You walk away from an argument with your spouse and you never try to resolve it. You treat people as obstacles to your advancement. You make solving problems more important than your relationships. You argue loudly with someone because they disagree with your politics. You see a leader insulting a person behind their back, and you say, 
nothing. Do any of these statements remind you of you or anyone you know out there? The reality is that love unveils our deepest desire, but it also evokes our greatest fears underneath it all. In 1 John 4.18, John said this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has nothing to do with, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. As your security in God's love for you is grounded, you will grow more and more Christ-centered. And from that place, you'll develop a love that becomes selfless, it becomes self-sacrificial, and it becomes not only Christ-centered, <clears throat> but other-centered as well. It's not about you and whether you'll be accepted or rejected or even persecuted. It's not about your reputation, it's not about your opinion, and it's not about trying to not make mistakes or always trying to say the right thing when you love someone. It really is about the grace of God that covers you over all of your nakedness, over all of your brokenness and woundedness that's underneath it all. This is an unashamed love for and from God in you that you've been given the privilege to give one another. You are absolutely and perfectly loved. And he's anointed each and every one of you as a vessel of his mercy and grace and his unconditional agape love to one another. We're clothed in his righteousness, crowned with the splendor of his salvation. And we're his chosen people that are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. We must always remember this. And the gospel points to the wrath that Christ has taken for us in order to give us shalom peace. This is not only with God, but with each other. When we give everything, and I mean absolutely everything, to God and for God, we find peace in God, we find peace within ourselves, as well as peace with others and those within the family of Christ. And that's a beautiful thing because God promises to give us peace that surpasses all understanding. God promises us to give us peace that this world cannot give. It's a peace that comes from God and it's a reflection of his character in and through us and a fruit of the Holy Spirit's work within us as well. So what are some of the distinctive qualities of love within the church family? So Jim Wilder in his other book, The Pandora Problem, he shares with us some good and wholesome statements for us to consider today as we think more deeply. We are a people who would rather listen than speak. We are a people who see God is, who see what God is building in others. We are a people who spontaneously love our enemies and return blessings for curses. We are people who remind each other who we really are whenever we forget. We are a people who share others' pain even when we've caused it. At the end of the day, how do you showcase the love of Christ to others within the family and love them the way that Christ has loved us? 
I have a simple equation from the English language that perhaps will help you with your application. And I think that it's, uh, it's good for all ages. You probably know the formula, I before E except after C. And so let's reconfigure the formula for a moment. Let's imagine that I stands for yourself, and E stands for everyone else, and C stands for Christ. When we do that, when you place this into the formula, what does it spell out? It says, yourself before everyone else except after Christ. What happens with this one exception when we pluck it into the formula? It reverses the order. It is Christ and then everyone else and then yourself. Basically, only when Christ is first in your life. Only then will everyone else be considered before or better than yourself. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians sums this up very well. It's in Philippians 2, 3 to 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant or better than yourself. But let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Summit family, the reality is the possibilities of love are endless. There's so many opportunities throughout each and every day where we have the opportunity to love and to love courageously. It's not only when we gather on Sundays and, and we see one another then. There's so many opportunities that God has given to us. The question is, if you are willing, you're ready, and you're open to him and to follow his leading and his guidance and the promptings of his Holy Spirit. So are you up for the challenge to demonstrate this courageous love to one another? I conclude with this. You are a letter of love for God and from God to others within the family. But to, to bless others, sometimes a seal, or perhaps for some of us, it may be many seals that needs to be broken for him, by him, and for his behalf, and on his behalf. I do not, what this, I do not know what this seal represents in each and every one of our lives, but I know that God knows. This needs to happen at some point if you want to be a messenger more and more that reflects his courageous love to one another and to this world. God has promised to deliver you, and he wants to send you into this world as a carrier of his eternal glory, as a herald of the good news of the gospel. And my hope and prayer for each and every one of us is that we would open up our hearts to love one another, and from that place to experience the depths of his love for us. And to learn to live in love and love God from that point onward. Let's be present with one another to imitate the love of Christ for his church. Let's be available to one another and initiate conversations with gracious love. And let's be accommodating to one another and invite others into a loving relationship. That is a familial relationship with you and with us and within the family of God. 
So before I, I take a moment to pray, I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes. So just bow down in holy reverence in this moment and allow God, by his Holy Spirit, to speak to you whatever he wills. And take a breath. Let the calmness of the Lord rest upon you. And consider in this moment, who are the people of God that he has placed on your heart? And who does he want you to courageously love within the body of Christ? We'll spend a moment of silence, and afterwards, when someone or some people come to mind, just as we did at the beginning, I want you to, as you are so inclined, to put up your hand as a sign of submission and strength in solidarity with God as an offering to God when someone or some people come to mind. So let's spend a moment of silence, and afterwards, I'll pray for us.